says that. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Good morning, church family. So excited to be here with you today. Hope you're having a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Uh, we're looking forward to hearing some, seeing and watching some answered prayers with some rain coming around, right? Uh, we're so thankful that you're here. I want to start with prayer this morning. As you can tell, we've released our kids to We Worship. We're going to commune towards the end of our services tonight, or this morning, and um, the reason for that will become clear here in just a little bit as we continue our series on words of life, the words that come out in the New Testament that lead us to life in Jesus. But let's pray over this uh, this morning. I just feel like I need to ask God's blessing on us. Let's do that. Our Father, may your word uh, be that double-edged sword this morning. May it speak truth to us. May it transform us. May it do its best in us. May we give you space. May we proclaim not just as we sang in song that you are here in this place. May we know it. May we realize it. May we have our eyes and ears and our hearts open to you. Father, bless this church. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the gift it is, the encouragement it is to each other. May we we find ourselves closer to Jesus and may we find ourselves launched out on the mission of Jesus today. Thank you, God. In the name of our Savior, we all pray together. Amen. Well, I'm going to go ahead and establish this this morning of who this message is for. And if it's not for you this morning, I'm giving you express, preacher, uh, whatever it is. I guess you have permission, express preacher permission to take a nap, sit back, and lay back. But you got to, first, there is a prerequisite before some of you start closing your eyes. So go ahead and open them up uh, for just a second. Because the prerequisite before you close your eyes and take a nap is you've got to answer honestly the following questions. And if you answer yes to any of these questions, then this message is for you. So you guys ready for this? And we'll ask for a show of hands at the end after we do these questions. Okay. Just in your own head, answer these yes or no. Have you ever been offended by someone else's words or actions? Have you ever suffered an injustice or a wrongdoing? Have you ever lost a friend because of a conflict? Have you ever felt rejected yourself? Have you ever had your own feelings hurt? Have you ever been wounded by a church or a member of a church? So if you've answered yes to any of those questions, I've got news for you. You've got to stay awake today. But let's reverse that as well because there's a second set. And if you answer yes to any of these, this message is for you as well. Have you ever offended someone else? Have you ever played favorites? Have you ever pushed a friend away by your own actions or words? Have you ever lost a relationship slowly over time because of unresolved issues? Have you ever rejected anyone? Have you ever hurt someone else's feelings? Have you ever needed to forgive someone but chose not to? Have you ever, as a member of a church, said something hurtful to somebody else in the church? 
If you answered yes to any of these questions, this message is for you. So, as an act of community and camaraderie, as a show of hands, who is this message for this morning? (laughs) Right? All of us. If you didn't raise your hands, have fun with your nap. Please try not to snore as not to distract (laughs) anyone else. You probably don't have to think too far. You've probably already guessed what our word of life is going to be centering on today. It's going to be forgiveness. Forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. Your permission to sleep. Sorry, I forgot to put that up there. (laughs) Maybe. But we're going to be centering on forgiveness today. Forgiveness is something we not only want and desire, but forgiveness is central to the theological idea of God and to the biblical message of God and his nature. In the Bible, we encounter a fatherly figure, a God, a Lord, a Savior, who is, at his heart, forgiving. He's compassionate. He's merciful. The clearest place in Scripture where this occurs, the most quoted verse in the Bible, by the Bible, is Exodus 34 6 and 7. It's where God appears before Moses when Moses says, show me your glory. And in showing his glory, he gives him his nature. God gives Moses this gift to say, I'm going to show you who I am. And the passage reads this. He passed in front of Moses. What a scene. If you've ever sat down and just imagined that. He hides Moses in the cleft of the rock, and then covers Moses' face with his hand and then passes by. And then God's nature is proclaimed this way, the Lord, the Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. As God more than just describes himself, but displays his essence, his very being to Moses in these two verses, the first word other than his name, Yahweh, that he uses is he is compassionate, which is also the word in Hebrew that can be translated as forgiving. It's the Hebrew word that's pronounced rachum, And it shares this root meaning. It's a beautiful word. And it shares a root idea with the word for a mother's womb. That God in his nature has a being in which he sees his children as a mom does the child she carried for nine months. Clearly, this is what is being said in Psalm 103, 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So at the outset, I want you all to know that this forgiveness word of life, Scripture speaks with such clarity that the God of Israel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of Moses, the God of Jesus, the God we serve, the God we worship in song and in action and deed and encouragement this morning, this is a forgiving God. He's the God who rachums who has compassion, who forgives us. 
We find forgiveness at the very heart of God, so therefore we find forgiveness at the very heart of the Christian life. It's something we graciously receive so that we can graciously give. But we've got to think about what kind of forgiveness we're giving. What does following a God who forgives look like? What does that entail? Because we, we, we have a version in, in our culture of forgiveness, and it is something we all want. It's all something we desire. It's funny that we love grace received, but we don't necessarily love forgiveness given. That's where the pain comes in. We live in a world that defines forgiveness probably by half of what the biblical standard is. In our world, forgiveness is maybe more defined by guilt and getting out of jail and freedom from that guilt. Um, Nationwide Insurance, several years ago, put out this following commercial I want you all to see that, that really summed up what we think about forgiveness when we do something wrong. It's about a guy that hits this older couple's car well, I'll, I'll just show it to you. It's about accident forgiveness. They, they offer accident forgiveness. I think they were the first company to do that. Your first accident, it's on us, right? So here it goes. <laughs> Hi, I'm, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I, I didn't even... <laughs> Rose. Uh, oh, that's so good, right? That's what we kind of see in our idea in our in our world for forgiveness. Is this we like accident forgiveness, but when it happens to us, forgiveness is usually off the table. We say, I've got your forgiveness right here. Old woman purse upside the head. Right? So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to look at biblical forgiveness. And I'm going to give you the forgiveness fire hose this morning. I'm going to look at three areas, and I'm going to do this very fast. That's why we're calling it the forgiveness fire hose, of what forgiveness is not, what it is, and who in your life may need forgiveness. See all ready for this? If you're a note taker, write this down. If it goes too fast, holler at me this week. I'll send this to you. Love to email it to you. So here's what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness, first of all, is not a condoning of actions. When we forgive, we are not letting someone get away with what occurred. In fact, if you've ever been through a process of forgiveness, actually getting into forgiveness actually opens up a pathway to see the gravity of what actually happened and the harm. So it's not a condoning of actions. Nor is forgiveness a waiting for the other to apologize. Forgiveness is an action that doesn't have to require somebody else's apology. That day may never come. We are told to forgive out of the heart that Jesus has given us. Forgiveness is not dependent on another. Forgiveness is also not a relenting of the consequences of people's actions. Remember what we just read in Exodus 34, 6, and 7. God is compassionate, but he still holds the guilty responsible. It may be true that you need to forgive, but it wasn't wrong that you called the police. Right? 
There's something about that that we need to remember. Forgiving is not forgetting. Sometimes we want to make that case, and it is often between really good friends. Between Allison's my best friend. I can forgive and I can forget. But with other people, that's very hard. It's often not. And you'll see why here in just a little bit when we talk about what forgiveness is. And finally, forgiveness is not a return to normal. If there has been wrongdoing, toxicity, abuse in your life, forgiveness can happen, but forgiveness also might come with boundaries. See, forgiveness is an act of one person. Reconciliation is an act of two. So that's what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness, though, is this. It's process. It takes time, sometimes seven times seven or as Jesus says in the other gospel, 70 times 7. Takes time. Forgiveness is not only process, it's refusal. It is a refusal to allow somebody else to take me away from my relationship with God. It is setting somebody free and realizing that person was you. Right? That's what forgiveness is. It's a refusal to be pulled away from the Lord. Third thing forgiveness is, is it is passing on what you have received. It is a heart set of the Christian of saying, I of course want others to be gracious to me, so I'm going to be gracious to others. It is following the golden rule of Matthew 7, 12. And finally, forgiveness is ending the ledger system. It's a healthy refusal to keep the debit and credit score on everybody else. You know what I'm talking about. Plus and minuses. So that's what forgiveness is. Final part of the fire hose is who needs it in your life. Let's name a few people, right? Who needs forgiveness in your life? People you can't name. If you can't find yourself, if you don't name somebody by their actual personal name, you might need to forgive them. Right? My ex, that guy, that dude, jerk face, whatever it might be, right? If you can't say their name, there's a possibility you might need to forgive him. It might be the people you often ignore, although you see them a lot. You pass them by, you pass them up, I'm not going to speak to them. You might have an issue you need to forgive in your life. It's also people you keep talking about. You keep bringing them up. If you keep talking about a certain person, there probably is a good idea there's a conflict between you. It's also people you can't think about without thinking harshly about. And then finally, if it's people you wish would just go away, wish they would just move, wish they would just die, (laughs) right? None of us would ever admit to thinking those things. So that's the forgiveness fire hose. That's forgiveness. But I want to circle back around to that cultural definition. The definition that says, well, forgiveness is just accident forgiveness. I hit somebody's car, so I'm off the hook. Accident forgiveness. I tear into my kid and lose my temper, act like a fool at a ball game. I'm off the hook because I asked them for forgiveness, but then I do it again next week. Right? Accident forgiveness. I lie to my spouse. I get busted. But because I applied for accident forgiveness, 
then I get out of jail free. Now we're drawn to that idea of kind of halfway forgiveness because as Christians, we, we know we're supposed to give and receive it. It's easy to have that definition of accident forgiveness. But I want to give us a much more beautiful life-giving definition as well. Because that definition is only half right. Forgiveness has to do with freedom and letting go, but so much more in the Bible, we get a picture of a transforming forgiveness. Specifically in the book of Luke. Luke's gospel sets up this idea of a coming time in which a king will come and forgiveness will reign. He does that throughout the first, the middle, and the last. And what he's going to give you this morning is you're going to see that forgiveness is just not one-sided about releasing. What forgiveness is, it is releasing and restoring. Now hold up, Farmer Brown, because you just said that forgiveness takes one person and reconciliation takes two. Sounds like you're just speaking out of both sides of your mouth, Jake. Hold on for just a second. Because the restoration we're talking about is not about with the other person necessarily. You're going to see how forgiveness releases you, but it also restores you. It has to do with a transformation that happens within you. And I want to show you this out of the Gospel of Luke this morning. So in Luke chapter 1, here's what happens. The Gospel opens up. John is anticipating... And for you extra credit, teacher's pet people out there, man, go read Jeremiah 31 today, and you'll see what, what Luke is trying to do. Luke is fulfilling a song that never ends out of Jeremiah 31. We don't have time to get into that today, but that's what's going on. And Luke opens up with this narrative about a couple who can't have a child. They're paralleling Abram and Sarah. And Zechariah, the father... When they finally have a child, Zechariah and Elizabeth do, in Luke 1, he writes this song about what's going to happen now that his son, who was prophesied about, John the Baptist, is born. So we pick it up in verse 76. Zechariah says, And you, my child, John the Baptist, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge Listen to this, the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. So John's ministry, even before Jesus is on the scene, was this preparation ministry so that the people could get ready to receive forgiveness, a forgiveness that will give them a knowledge of what salvation is really all about. A salvation that is release and restoration. It is a salvation that releases us for, for, from sin and restores us to original purpose and meaning. You see what I'm saying? I'll, I'll give you some examples here. A husband or a wife forgives their spouse. There's been a wrongdoing. There's been conflict. Maybe there's just been tension. They've been meeting each other, passing in the night. They haven't been talking. They haven't been sharing. The marriage hasn't been thriving like it should. And they sit down, and they get to the heart of the issue, and one says, I'm going to forgive you. I'm letting that go. What happens? They release the tension and the unforgiveness 
But guess what else happens? They restore, that person is able to restore in forgiveness their heart and love for their spouse. Or maybe let's take a church example. When one of us loves our church family enough to go to a brother and sister and say, man, we've had this conflict, and you know and I know about it, we release our right to be right so that we can restore the bond of fellowship. I don't think we understand the power of communion as a church family. If I take the blood of Jesus and the bread of Jesus with you, we are more connected and more united than anybody else I can be connected with in the world. Right? We share in the blood of Jesus. And then we get mad at each other and we dismiss it over petty things. But you see how that can release and then it restores. I may not... You may still be mad at me, or I might, you, you well, I'll, I'll, I'll give it that way. Let, yeah, you may still be mad at me. We'll put you in the, I'll, I'll be the bad guy, right? I do something wrong, but when we forgive, if you're able to forgive whatever stupid wrong I've done, I may have refused to change, but guess what happens? You've released your right to be wrong, and your right to feel like you've been wrong, And then you're able to be restored to still serve the person that you had conflict with. You see that? That's how forgiveness releases and it restores. Now flip to the end of the Gospel of Luke. The very end, you see a bookend of how Jesus describes his ministry in Luke chapter 24, 46 through 48. It opens, Luke opens with this huge idea of John's going to prepare a way for a, for a salvation that comes through forgiveness. And then Jesus bookends the entire book with giving a mission about this same kind of forgiveness. Here's what Jesus, the resurrected Christ, tells his disciples. It says, he told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead and on the, th- on the third day and repentance for the, give, for the forgiveness of your sins will be preached in, the, in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So let's take this a little bit further because forgiveness is learning the rhythm of releasing and restoring. But here's what it does. When we learn as a church to forgive each other and outsiders and, and family, it releases the message, because Jesus here says, this is my message. You're going to go preach a message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It releases that message and it restores our mission. So the grand narrative of scripture, the meta narrative, the big overarching story is a story about a relationship between God and mankind, one that's been devastated by sin and rebellion, but restored through the loving sacrifice of the Messiah, Jesus. And at the end of the gospel here, there's a vibrant picture of transformative forgiveness that starts to take shape. A picture here that displays that followers of Jesus now are released with a message because they've been restored to original creation. 
When we take on the Holy Spirit, we take on the icon, the image of Jesus, right? We're restored back to that. Romans 8, right? You take on that image. We are restored back to original message that we can go preach out on mission. All can be restored is what we preach. All can be made right. That's the gospel. God is here. Through Jesus, everything can change. So way back in 2003, 20 years ago, a young man in Florida named Eric Smallridge was driving home one night after a night of partying in Tallahassee, Florida. His blood alcohol content when he left the party was twice the legal limit. He crossed the median on a divided highway and slammed into, T-boned a car carrying two 20-year-old girls. The girls were named Lisa and Megan. When Eric's car slammed into Lisa and Megan, both the girls died instantly. He was going that fast. Eric was fine. And he was charged with involuntary manslaughter and was sentenced to 22 years in prison. Justice had been served. He was wrong. But a few years later, a woman came forward and she passionately sent letters and messages and emails to the judge asking that he reduce Eric's sentence. She said, you gave him 22 years. Let's cut it in half. He's been in eight. Let's get him out by 11. She believed in her heart that Eric was changed And incredibly, the judge obliged. He granted this woman's wish, not just because of the woman's passion and the letters and the way that she was communicating that Eric had changed, but because of who she was. This woman's name was Renee, and she was the mother of Megan, one of the girls killed in that horrific accident. Renee's change towards the way she saw Eric began right after his sentencing. She reached out to him. She tried to talk to him. What she noticed in the courtroom was an unapologetic and bitter young man. But she couldn't shake the idea that if she ever wanted to heal from the pain she was experiencing, the grief she was experiencing, she was going to have to release that pain and forgive Eric, no matter what he did. So she did. Several years into his prison sentence, Eric got a letter from Renee, Megan's mom, and he opened it. It was a letter of forgiveness. A letter saying, I want to let this go, and I am forgiving you today. This message of forgiveness started to get out. And not only did Renee, Megan's mom, forgive, but Lisa's parents wrote Eric a letter forgiving him as well. It was then that Renee had an idea, and she started to set up speaking engagements. She had this crazy idea because the forgiveness had released her so much from from the pain she was feeling and and the way that the the harm that he had done to her had had squelched her growth and stopped her and, and had been an obstacle in her life for so long. She had this idea because she felt free in forgiveness. She said, I'm going to start talking to high school kids about drunk driving. So she started a little speaking tour in Florida. But then she had an even better idea. She asked the judge, can 
when I have these speaking dates, can you release Eric, even though he's still in prison for three more years, to come speak with me? And the judge did. And Renee and Eric would go to high schools around Florida, even while Eric was still a prisoner, and they would speak a message of forgiveness because that message was one that released a powerful message and it restored Renee back to who she could really be. It restored a mission. It gave her a mission. That's the power of forgiveness. In the very middle of Luke's gospel, you find a story that is at the heart of the biblical message. It's a story that you know. It's a story of two brothers and a father. And the younger brother goes to the father and he rejects the father. For whatever reason, we're not told why it's a parable. You're not supposed to get details. You're supposed to get layers and layers and layers of meaning. But for whatever reason, the younger brother comes and he says, I want my inheritance, which you know biblically meant, I wish you were dead. Incredibly, in the story that Jesus tells in Luke 15, the father grants the younger brother's wish and the younger brother moves out. Very quickly, according to the story, this younger brother wastes his wealth. All that inheritance, a third of what the father would have owned, the scripture describes it as wild living. He becomes poor and destitute, desperate. No one helps him in his distress. And for the Jewish audience... He reaches to the lowest point, feeding pigs. So hungry, he would eat with the pigs, what they were eating. And then there's this line that says, no one gave him anything. Finally, in this desperation, the young man comes to his senses. He figures out this plan in his head. It's this plan that most of us would come up with. If I could just get back home, I don't even need my sonship restored. I don't even need to be a member of the family, but I know my dad can offer me something. So he gets this plan, I'll just go back and be a servant. And we'll pick it up in verse 20, where Jesus says, Then he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, which is about half his plan. He was about to say, make me one of your servants. But the father said, the father cuts him off. The father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. They began to celebrate. The heart of the biblical message is a God who looks at us and goes, I will release you. And I want to restore you. And he asks us not to just look at this 
verse and go, well, that's great. He says, go and tell people about it. Go and don't just talk about it, live it. Go bring people life because you're practicing forgiveness. When I was a kid, one of my friends, we were little, we, man, we spent so much time at the city pool. I mean, that was like, I don't know if we loved it that much or my mom was just wanted us, she convinced us how to get us out of the house for a few hours every, in the summer. But for a while, some of my friends would bring snorkels, right? You know how city pools are. They're like, they're like breeding ground for bullying, right? <laughs> and I remember us, when we would have those snorkels, some of the older kids, we would be snorkeling around. And we didn't have goggles. We'd just be snorkeling around. It was fun to have your eyes underwater and looking underwater without your goggles on and be able to keep your head underwater for a certain amount of time. It was fun as a kid. I always remember probably it was my brother or older kids. They always loved putting their thumbs over the top of our snorkels as we swam by, right? And for a while, you wouldn't realize it because you weren't breathing. You would just take a breath and you'd hold it and then you'd try to breathe out or you'd try to breathe in and, you know, you didn't have anything. I think that's what Christianity is like. Because a lot of us have a thumb or duct tape over our snorkel. We're in the water with Jesus. And we've got our heads underwater, but we can't keep our heads underwater for very long. We can't take in the fullness of his grace. We can't take in all his goodness because what we're doing is we're holding on to what we've received, but we're not giving it. We've got snorkels in our mouths and we can't breathe because we won't let go. We're taking rat poison and hoping the person that we dislike dies. See, forgiveness releases the duct tape. It takes the thumb off the top of the snorkel. Forgiveness releases us. It releases us in the message of Jesus and it restores us in the mission of Jesus. And that's what we do every Sunday as we commune. Communion is remembrance, it's celebration, it's a communal act of of let's remember what got us here. Not our own effort, not our own righteousness, not our own ability, but the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus that is not mine to hold on to. It's mine to proclaim and tell about and hope other people come to receive it. So this morning as you commune, don't do it in vain. Church family, don't do it in rote pattern of, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. God's not interested in your tradition. He wants your heart. When you commune this morning, it is something you receive. Remember that. It's a gift. It may be something we pass on. We'll have an invitation after communion if you need to respond to it in any way, but right now we're just going to commune. If our guys would come forward.
If you have somebody you need to text during communion, if you need to turn to somebody, if you need to get up and go talk to somebody, that's what this place is for. It's church family. Man, we need to get over the whole idea of if somebody causes an action, we need to stare at them. Because we're all sinners, right? We're sinners, we're saints, made by the grace of God. And we all need Jesus this morning. These guys are going to lead us, and then we'll have some singing after we commune and have our offering. Thank you.